Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather around your word and help us to understand your word today and help me to speak your truth in love. Amen. So for those that uh, perhaps don't know me, I'm Jimmy or James, I get both. Um, and uh, yeah, I was on staff here and now I'm sort of part as a parishioner, which is awesome. And I've been mostly just hanging out at the 10 a.m. service. So it's great to still be part of our church community and have opportunities to preach. Uh, and I get to see 6 p.m. again and hear the awesome music again. I do miss that. But anyway, let's get into it. So our citizenship and identity seem to be strongly connected. And so, for example, I've got a photo just up on the screen, you'll see. And if it's not there, don't stress Tim. That's all right. I'll paint a picture for you. Oh, there it is. And uh, in the news yesterday, it was reported that there are so many Russians that are fleeing their country by any means necessary, and a lot of them are doing that out of disagreement with Putin and the war in Ukraine. And apparently, you know, trains, buses, and paid travel cars are just chock-a-block and booked out. And so perhaps some of these citizens of Russia are fleeing not just their homeland, but wanting to embrace a new citizenship somewhere, perhaps. Maybe they're trying to find a new identity elsewhere. And though these citizens are going to face lots of barriers to this, however, I imagine there's an element of hope that is helping them to persevere through this adversity. And so today I want to talk about how we are citizens of heaven. And how we are to stand firm in this hope despite the adversity that we face. And so you'll notice at the start of chapter 4, and hopefully you've got it open, and there's a word there, therefore. And a handy tip that someone gave me at Bible college years ago was, whenever you see that word, therefore, it's good to ask, what's it there for? And so the answer is in the previous chapter. And so last week, Nick brought us a great message on things that hinder us as we look forward towards heaven. So we're going to look a little bit at just chapter 3, verse 20 to 21 briefly. And it says, it'll be on the screen too, um, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious bodies. Glorious body. So when we read chapter 4, verse 1, it makes a bit more sense. And then we look at that one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So today I want to talk about standing firm as Paul encouraged the Philippians to do that then, but I think we can be encouraged now to do so. But when we stand firm, what are we standing firm for? Well, in Philippians 3, we're eagerly awaiting our Savior to return. He is with us now, but we also look forward to his return and the renewal that this will bring. So how do we stand firm for Jesus in this crazy world that we live in? Well, firstly, we can stand firm in the Lord by rejoicing in the Lord. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. What does it mean here to rejoice? To, to just be happy? Put on a happy face all the time? Put on a brave face when things aren't going well? Not at all. I think the answer to understanding what is meant by rejoice is, again, going back to chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul writes literally the words, rejoice in the Lord. 
And Tim preached on this a couple of weeks ago, and he reminded us that Paul didn't use his credentials or his acts of service as a way to sort of uphold himself to say, look how good I am, look at my righteousness. Instead, he pretty much just said, everything that I use to uphold myself is rubbish. Jesus defines who he is and defines who we are. And this is our reason to to rejoice. And to read you a little verse from chapter 3, verse 7. But for whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So meaning, whatever Paul had to define his joy in, you know, or righteousness, is rubbish compared to what Jesus offers. So what does Jesus offer us to enable us to rejoice in him? Jesus offers us redemption. Let me read to you. From another letter that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 it says for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we love whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Paul puts it plain and simple Jesus has rescued us from sin sin is the times that we are just disobedient that we are we're distant from God And sin separates us from God. We can't have a close and intimate relationship with him. We can't even be in his presence because of sin. But what Jesus has done on the cross, he has actually changed our status. He's changed our future. We have a second chance in Jesus. Because he died and he rose from the grave. Because of Jesus, and if we have accepted him in our life, we can have that close and personal relationship with God. We can pray any time, and we know, and we can feel at times the love of God, that he loves us beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. So when we rejoice in the Lord, we remember what he has done through Jesus, that we are to live as citizens of heaven. However, there will be times we can be convinced that we are actually citizens of this world. That we live by the ways of this world. Sometimes we can actually just forget about our citizenship in heaven. And we can get caught up in this world, and that is really inevitable sometimes, because we are human. We're going to make mistakes. But when we come back to God and we rejoice in the gospel, we are reminded of his mercy and therefore we should stand firm until Jesus returns because we have a great reason to rejoice now because of what he has done and what he continues to do. But we also look forward to Jesus' return and the renewal that's going to bring. Secondly, to help us stand firm in the hope of Jesus is gentleness. Let me read from verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What is this gentleness that Paul refers to? Well, I think it ties back to Philippians 2. And Charles preached to us on the humility of Christ to adapt that same mindset of Jesus. And we see that he just is such a servant, humble, not self-seeking, but looking to the needs of others. And when we see that word gentleness, it sort of talks about that idea of considering the needs of others, not just our own. And you see that word gentleness is referred to a lot, especially in the New Testament. And it seems to be strongly connected to Jesus. I mean, for example, one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And Paul writes in other letters, in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1, he writes, um, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. 
But to tie back to our theme of Philippians, if we look at chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul writes in today's passage about let your gentleness be evident to all. I think what he's trying to say is that we should have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Again, not just looking to our needs, but the needs of others. Showing that consideration. And what can help us with this gentleness is knowing, as the verse has said, that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. When Paul mentions that line, I think he's referring to Jesus' return. Paul's encouraging the Philippians to be citizens of heaven with the hope of what Jesus has done, but what is to come when Jesus returns. Pardon me. We live in a way, and we want to live in a way, that shows Jesus is coming back, showing that consideration. So to think about gentleness a little bit more is, you know, are we considering gentleness Do we have the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus? Showing that love and concern for other people, not just ourselves. You know, we all fail to do this well. And I think just being aware of this is quite a powerful reflection as we come to realize that we can't do this alone. We need God's strength to do this. Jesus saved us, but he continues to work through us, through the Holy Spirit. So when we cherish what Jesus has truly done for us, I like to think that we will cherish one another here the way Jesus loves us. So what does this look like? It could look like so many different things. I think it can just look like something as simple as just serving, getting involved, praying for others. And I know Tim's sort of talked a little bit about, you know, there's a prayer meeting this Saturday, and it's always a powerful, amazing opportunity where we see the believers of our church get together and pray for everything that's going on here, but also anyone that needs prayer, the sick, the sad. And so this is how we just stand firm with gentleness as we eagerly await our Saviour. Thirdly, brings me to my third point, to help us stand firm as we wait for Jesus' return is not to be anxious. Let me read uh, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, when it says that word anxious, I think it's talking about anxiety in a general sense, not so much like anxiety disorder. Um, But reading these verses at a first glance can be very distressing, Some of us might be thinking, it says, you're never allowed to be anxious. But that is not the point of that verse. It's a fact to acknowledge that we all experience anxiety. It's part of our brain that can sense danger or a threat and can help us to assess what we need to do next. However, it can paralyze or hinder us sometimes in what we're trying to do. Anxiety can grow when we keep avoiding the thing that makes us anxious because we're not learning to deal with the trigger of our anxieties. But if we think about the context of Paul and the Philippians, one of the themes is to have joy and contentment in all circumstances. And I think Paul models this really well in his life and in the letter that he writes. And if, we just, if I tried to put myself in Paul's shoes and attempt to do that, 
you know, I would imagine he would have every reason to be anxious while writing this letter. He's in jail. That's the context. He is in jail. He's not sure what's going to happen to him next in jail. I'm sure Paul has been anxious and stressed about the church. They face persecution, um, leadership disagreements, false teaching. However, in his anxiety, if he had any, you can see that Paul must be a man of prayer because instead of letting the anxiety or anything in this world pull him away from God, he sees this as an opportunity to actually draw closer to God. He's confronting that anxiety and talking to God about it. And when he does that, and when we do that, it actually can help us to stand firm as citizens of heaven. When we bring our anxiety to God, it's an opportunity for God to work his wonders, but in particular, to calm your heart. And often it means that some problems may never be solved the way that you like. But God in his grace will be able to assist and calm the heart. It's not saying that when you pray about certain things that make you anxious, it will magically be resolved. But again, we see that God's going to equip us in how to respond. Have a look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think just an ultimate example of this is Jesus. The night before Jesus dies on the cross, we can see that he's stressed. He's probably anxious. It says in the Bible that he's probably, he was um, crying tears of blood almost. And yet in Jesus' darkest and most anxious hour, what does he do? He allocates time and spends it praying. Let me read to you from Matthew 26, verse 39. It says, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. God the Father answers Jesus' prayer, and just, you know, not in the way he liked it, but Jesus knew what God had called him to do. He's got a mission. And being able to talk to God and to be reminded of God's plan has probably definitely helped him push on with the mission of salvation as he's working with and relying on his Heavenly Father. And I think what's really beautiful about this moment, the night before Jesus died on the cross, is that we see that even the Lord Jesus himself presented his anxiety before his Heavenly Father. And God was helping him to respond to the situation with wise and right thinking. Again, I really want to repeat that the verse, do not be anxious about anything, isn't saying that you can never be anxious. Rather, what are you doing about the worries in your life? Sometimes anxiety is connected to fear and can paralyze us from doing God's work. And when we're facing worries or the things that make us anxious, the question I want you to think about, actually three questions, is, is prayer the first thing that you turn to when you're feeling anxious? Or maybe is it the last resort? Or perhaps prayer is not an option you haven't considered it at all when you're facing the struggles that you face. But isn't it good that we can go to God and express what's going on? 
our worries can potentially dictate our behavior and what we do. And as I already mentioned, anxiety can pull us in so many unhelpful directions in life. And therefore, when we bring our anxiety, concerns, and our requests before the Lord, it helps us to stand firm in the hope of Jesus. How? Well, God's going to equip us with the wisdom and knowledge on how to proceed, what to do next. And this brings me to my last point. Put it into practice. Putting it all into practice helps us to stand firm as we eagerly await our Saviour. Let me read to you verses 8 to 9. A lot up there. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What I think Paul is trying to say here is to faithfully improvise thinking, breathing, living, and being a citizen of heaven. And when I say improvise, it's not making it up as we go along and doing whatever we want. When you think about the context of like drama and theatre, to improvise is sort of to go, okay, there's a scene that's happening here, and I'm about to enter this scene, so therefore, how am I going to improvise? How am I going to come into this scene in a fitting way? How will I walk into this scene? How am I going to interact with people in this scene that fits the story of whatever it is? Now, I want us to think about faithfully improvising. And what I mean by that is the stage that we're all in is the world. And your role, we are citizens of heaven. And so we want to think about how do we kind of come into this world and continue to be in this world by living as citizens of heaven? faithfully improvising, and looking at some of those things that it mentions there, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. And to understand more about what all those words mean, go to the Bible. That is your script. (laughs) That's where you're going to understand how to faithfully improvise, because we're not just making it up, we're not following in our heart, it's actually looking at what God's Word says about these things. But also, when we look at those verses that I've just talked about, I think the PowerPoint's malfunctioned, so don't panic. Don't be anxious, right? Pray about it. Application, there you go. Um, So we want to think about those verses I read again, about, you know, whatever is true, think about these things. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, there's a lot of things that list there. And when we look at all those things, those good, godly things, and then if we hold ourselves up against those things, I find, and I'm sure you could find, it can be very daunting, You might find that very discouraging because you might be thinking, I can't do all those things. I struggle just to do one of those things. If you think about the idea of whatever is true, you know, how often have we lied, not been completely honest? But when we admit and come to God of our problems, he does forgive us. But as we think about all those different things that to be thinking and doing, the things of Christ, um, these things don't come naturally to us. And that's just because of the impact of sin. And that's when we need to remember, well, actually, hold on. How did you come to be a citizen of heaven? Did you do the citizen of heaven citizenship test and pass with flying colors? (laughs) No. Remember what I said before? Jesus has rescued us. 
He made us new, and therefore he's going to help us not just to become citizens, but to continue being citizens of heaven. But to stand firm as we eagerly await our Saviour is to consider also, what are we exposing ourselves to? And that's why it's good to think about those verse 8 and 9 again. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy and pure. Because we live in a world and we constantly get bombarded with lots of different things. Even just thinking about conversations that you have, but even when you hear people preach up the front here, asking that question, is what I'm hearing true right now? Am I exposing myself to something good here? Or even I find when I'm watching TV or streaming or, you know, we're all on our phones these days and we have access to anything. Even just think about, is what I'm looking at, is this pure? Is this praiseworthy? Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this, and I'm not trying to say, you know, throw out everything. But we want to practice discernment about what are we exposing ourselves to? And that's why it's so important to think about, you know, we are responsible for what we let in to our heart but also what we want to keep out of our heart too. And I think that's why it says that verse, you know, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, guard, guard your hearts and minds. So whatever we're doing, is this helping or hindering my relationship with Jesus? Always a good question to ask, I think. And that brings me to my last bit. Oh, the slide's working, that's good. Someone must have been praying. That's good. So, to sum up everything I'm saying, because I have talked a lot, um, here I go. We want to stand firm in the hope of Jesus. How? We rejoice in the Lord. We're gentle. We pray when we're anxious. We put into practice the things of the Lord. Why and how? Well, it's in your identity. You are a citizen of heaven. That we are eagerly awaiting our Savior to come back. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, you call each and every one of us into your kingdom through our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of us here haven't accepted or entered a relationship with you. And Lord Jesus, help us and help everyone to reach out for you. Help us to stand firm in your hope. Help us to lay claim to our identity as citizens of heaven and help us to stand firm in the hope that we eagerly wait you, our Saviour, to return. And we do pray all this in your son's name. Amen.